Viva Los Angelitos and welcome back to Halos in the Infield. My name is Fernando Mendez. Dominic from Catella Chronicles joins us and we talk about the Angels baseball and what the hell is going wrong right now with this team. And Dominic even says that Joe Adele won't be in the Angels organization come opening day next year. Tune in to see what's next. Viva Los Angelitos and welcome back to Halos in the Infield. You guys haven't seen me for a minute. I am Fernando Mendez. Todd's not here today. He's working. But we are joined here by somebody you guys have known to love. Uh, he's new to the block, but some of you guys have heard his voice around and you may have seen him in our live stream. Mr. Dominic Lorenz. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome and uh, glad to be back with you. I know the last time we did a little combo thing, it was the live stream back on July 1st. Todd and I, Chase, David, and the guests, you know, unfortunately, we didn't bring an Angels win that night. But hopefully with this podcast, Fernando and I can bring some love into your hearts. (laughs) You guys not bring an Angels win, but they got smacked that night. They literally got hit up and down Texas. Hey, but we at least, or I don't want to say we, I had a prediction. I predicted Otani's home run, the pitch before it happened, and Todd predicted a ground ball double play in the bottom of the first. So the first inning, we should have ended the game there. It would have been freaking fantastic. But unfortunately, there was eight other innings of baseball, and it just didn't go our way. (laughs) You know, and I've been gone for the last two weeks, and I think that exact phrase just kind of summed up the entire thing. It has just not been going our way, you know, and let, let me know if I'm wrong here. I haven't watched a lot of Angels baseball over the last two weeks, but of course I listen to the shows. I've read the articles. I, I've, I've been somewhat active on our Twitter account, but let me, let me know if I'm doing this wrong. So for the last two weeks, it can be summed up by saying some crappy baseball and a bunch of losses, unless Shohei Otani was pitching. Yes. Yes. And to sum all of that up one word. Okay. Train wreck. okay that's how I've described the angels like you can look there's so many numbers we're going to get into here in the podcast but let me just put three out there for you you already said one the angels are undefeated in Shohei Otani starts right now five and oh in his last five starts other than him starting on the mound since June 3rd the angels are six and 24 that's number one that's bad number two since May 25th angels worst record in baseball 11 and 32 that's bad too Number three, the cherry on top, one and eight on a road trip that featured a sweep against Houston, splitting Miami and getting your butt handed to you in Baltimore four days in a row. Yeah. Okay. I'm not having nightmares. It's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I don't drink myself to sleep. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> let, me, let me just say, so I don't know how often you look at our questions of the day. But today's question of the day was, you know, uh, is this the worst first half of an Angels season you've ever seen? Now, don't get me wrong. So you and I were born in 95. So we missed the large chunk of the, you know, crappy Angels of the, you know, the 70s, the bulk of the 80s. We missed the large chunk of that. Correct. Realistically, our first memories are roughly the World Series territory, right? That's kind of when we really- Seven years it. old, sitting crisscross applesauce in front of the TV, enjoying a World Series. First, you know, fun, fun memories. 
Okay, exactly, exactly. Oh. So, well, those are, in all fairness, those are our earliest memories, really. Correct. But, you know, the worst thing is when those people were like, oh, well, we were way worse in the, you know, the 60s, the 70s. Okay, great. But realistically, when have you ever had two of the best players in baseball, both healthy at the same time, a somewhat decent starting pitching staff that's actually more or less giving you more solid outings than they're giving you disappointing outings and still managed to be the worst team in baseball dating back to, you know, what, May, you said? Yeah, May 25th is when it went all downhill, the second game of that mini two-game series against Texas. You know, the Angels were coming off a road trip where they got swept in Texas, came back, took two of three versus Oakland, and split a two-gamer against Texas. Okay, not too bad. You win three out of five. No one's complaining. And then Toronto came into town, and the wheels completely fell off at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's when we I remember looking back and being like, hey, this is going to be a really tough stretch. We have a very hard June. Meanwhile, the Astros were, you know, doing their cakewalk that they've been doing for the bulk of the season playing you know candy ass team after candy ass team correct it was getting hard for us it was easy for them and that's kind of where things started we started going completely different directions and it wasn't like we went it was yeah okay in hindsight yes it was a very drastic split what at least myself and everybody at Catella Chronicles was talking about was guess what if we can at least 500 this stretch where again that's let's replay a little bit you had Toronto, and then the Yankees, then the Phillies, followed by the Red Sox, Mets, and Dodgers. Just start with that for a minute. If you could at least go 500 during that stretch against quality teams, you could at least balance whatever the Houston Astros are doing. And they were in an easy chunk of their schedule, and they knocked it out of the park. The Angels struck out every single time and could not do anything. You already handicapped yourself. You know, based on the April and beginning of May that the Angels had, Going 500 during that stretch should have been very comparable, should have been very, I don't want to say easy, but it should have been doable. The Angels dropped the ball, and it was just, it's been a mess ever since. Yeah, it's been, it's been horrible, man. It's just, you know, if Shohei Otani's not pitching, it's a loss. You know, and, well, I, and it sucks to say, and you know, you yeah. kind of think about it, you're like, oh, that's not true. But realistically, that's what it's been. The numbers... 5-0 and when he pitches over the past, or pardon me, since June 3rd, 5-0 and when he's on the mound. 6-24 and when he's not. What I consider that is, I, I agree with you right now, and the numbers are facts. Over Tani's not on the mound, it's a loss. But here's where I give the pitching staff, at least the starting staff, a pinch of credit. Don't tell me, baseball's a very mental game. Don't tell me any pitcher, Sandoval, Syndergaard, Suarez, Detmers, and even Silseth and Lorenzen are sitting there in the first inning, second, third, early on in the game. And let's say they're already down 2 nothing. In their mind, they're already thinking, this offense can barely scrap a run per game. We're done. It's over. You see it on their face. It's just the energy cons- considerably gets sucked out of them within the first two innings. The Angels, you would think, the Angels with the batting order that they have, Ward, Trout, Otani, Walsh right now with Rendon being out for the season would score a lot of runs in the first inning or at least get one across the angels are bottom three in major league baseball in scoring in the first inning that's not a great stat to have when you have quality at bats batters especially in the first inning yeah yeah and the other thing is what our batters are producing it's been a lot of solo shots 
you know, I've kind of given Mike Trout the moniker of Han Solo because he's Mike Trout, been the solo show guy. Shohei Otani, been the solo show guy. Shohei Otani uh, had a game, was it about two weeks ago, where he hit a three-run home run to get us in extra innings? The front of that game specifically that I was going to get into probably somewhere down the line here in the episode, that was against that game two against the Kansas City Royals. The back-and-forth game, Otani has two three-run blasts. You think the Angels are coming back, then the bullpen gives it up. Thought you're getting back in it. Bullpen gives it up. They end up losing in extra innings. That game is one of, I would say, three or four games this season that I have circled in Ren Pen that could have easily, I don't want to say completely changed our season, but definitely were winnable games. Look at the amount of one-run games we're losing right now that in April, we were winning a lot of games in April that we should not have been winning. Like the bases loaded intentional walk from Joe Madden against the Texas Rangers. That's probably, in years past, a losable game. Angels won that that because they were on a roll. Yeah, I was at that game, and I remember booing when Corey Seager got intentionally walked with the bases loaded. I literally was shouting at the top of my lungs that Joe Madden was off his rocker. He was right, and that worked out that particular game. That'll kind of be the one thing we remember about this season. Uh, Let's be honest. There's not going to be much to remember as of right now about this season. Can I be wrong? Sure. I've been wrong before, but honestly, where I sit right now, there is no way this team is going to be playing meaningful baseball. No, I would say so far from opening day to where we are sitting in time right now, legitimately, there's been maybe five moments this season that are worth noting. And unfortunately, a lot of them are April and early May. During this stretch since May 25th, where the Angels have gone 11 and 32, what has been the most memorable thing? Probably those five starts where Shohei Otani's on the mound. Yep. That's pretty much it. Maybe you get away with, uh, you know, Jared Walsh hitting for the cycle against the Mets. That was I a nice. I that was even a thing. Why? Because yeah, this you know, has been such a disaster. Now, I'll say this on a personal note, I've gone to three Angel games this year. I've been the luck charm, 3-0 and when I've been atten- in attendance. 2-0 and against the Miami Marlins in April, and I was at the City Connect debut against the Mets. So 3-0, and maybe I need to become a season ticket holder and we go undefeated. Maybe I'm the problem. You know, Who I've knows? seen enough people on Angels Twitter with that exact thought, and they're exact, the complete opposite. So don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. It never works out like that. But you have moments where – in this 11 and 32 stretch, Jared Walsh hit for the cycle history right there. That's a moment in time this season that we should remember because it was, you know, a quality game. Anything Shohei Otani related has been fantastic. You know, Mike Trout has, you know, we could go through his line score and there's been a couple of games where he's just been flat out unstoppable. But besides those three players, maybe Noah Syndergaard's revenge game against the Texas Rangers the day before this whole fiasco started on may 24th is a memorable four like mentality but after that excluding the first month and a half uh, you know, the walk off against the washington nationals on mother's day weekend oh yeah, yeah i'm, stretch, I'm stretching here it was fun that was the and one then, that did something this year yeah and the and the biggest one i just thought of reed detmer's no hitter that's going to be in the classic of the 2022 season regardless how we finish at the end of the day so yeah. there are moments. Reed Devers, because Reed yeah. Devers also, as of right now, since that day, not the same pitcher. 
completely not the same pitcher, night and day. Excluding excluding Friday night's performance against the Baltimore Orioles, he looked like a completely different pitcher that night. And I know we're probably going to go through that with the Baltimore series and such, but Detmers looked like a completely different pitcher. His slider, whatever he did in AAA, and whoever's the pitching coach out in AAA with Salt Lake Bees, some, there's got to be a connection there because he looked like he had turned a curve. And who knows? It could be a one-game thing and, you know, next time out against the Astros or the Dodgers, however it lines up this week with the rotation from Phil Nevin. You know, you hope for the best, but at least in that moment, for six innings, he was in line for a win until Rysel blew it in the ninth. So Detmers is still a quality arm, but in that case scenario, it didn't work out for him on that game in Baltimore. So Jairo Cuevas is their pitching coach. Okay. So he got an A. Give him a bonus. Six quality innings after a two-week-and-a-half, two-week stint down in AAA. Reed comes up for Lorenzen, who, you know, gets placed on the IL with some shoulder discomfort strain. Um, A-plus. I'll take that start any day of the week. And we've talked about how the Angel pitching has been their weakest point for seasons now. And Detmers has had his moments this year, good and bad. Last Friday was definitely one of the better moments this season, you know, apart from the no-hitter against, you know, Tampa. Of course. And I will say this, Dominic, I, you know, you haven't directly covered Angels minor league baseball. But remember, the Angels don't cover or don't take care of their minor league teams, including their coaches. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, I spent three-plus seasons in the minor league level, but it was in the Padres organization from 2017 to 2019. So, you know, being with the Storm, and being around the 66ers at least 20 to 24 games a year, I could kind of see the inner workings of what's going on through, you know, through a lot of fans from behind the scenes. And no, every team is different. And the Angels, as we see, and this can filter to the top to Artie Moreno, um, not so great things happening on that part of the equation in the organization. And then you see organizations like the Padres and especially the Dodgers. I will, you know, oh, yeah. devil on take that. the cap to them take great care of their minor leaguers and it shows because they continuously pipe talent to the major leagues. And we're talking cream of the crop talent. We're talking guys like Clayton Kershaw, who's arguably the best pitcher of our generation that we've seen from beginning to end of his career. You know what I mean? That's that's a very easy discussion. Yeah, exactly. He's in the discussion. You know, you have guys like Kenley Jensen, who was a top closer during a respective period of time, you know, the list goes on and on and on. There was a while there where people thought Cody Bellinger was going to be a great player. You know, he's turned to be, you know, absolutely mediocre crap. at best, but, <laughs> but the Dodgers still, like you said, they pipe out talent. I know we can talk about some older names, like let's be real for a small portion of time. They pumped out Yasiel Puig. And remember for, for a good year and a half, Puig or Trout, who's going to be the best ever in baseball. Clearly Trout won that debate. We already knew that, yeah. but the Dodgers, from being in a minor league perspective, especially, like I said, 2017 to 2019, being in the Padres organization with all of their, they were the top farm system in major league baseball. So seeing what they did, comparison to the Dodgers who were, you know, in the seventh through 10th range in major league baseball. And then you saw the Angels who were near the bottom barrel, bottom barrel, 25th, 22nd, just maybe getting to the top 20 at best. I saw three different perspectives and you saw really how the an, an organization is built up from the ground up 
And you could tell it was Dodgers, Padres, and then the Angels when it comes to that. And like I said, I think it all filters back to ownership. Simplicity at its best. You you know what? Okay, so you brought up this topic already. You're on the topic of ownership right now. So let me ask you this. You're, you know, you're somebody whose opinion I respect greatly. What is going on with the Angels? And I don't even mean right now. This is a long issue. This is a deep issue. This is an eight-year issue. And honestly, you can probably throw 2014 in the toilet too because we got swept that year, though we were the best team in baseball record-wise. Really, the last 15 years has been overall garbage. So what's been wrong? Is it ownership? You know, that's a very, very loaded question. Absolutely. It's, it's a very loaded question because I, I think anybody in this situation from our fan perspective can take it at least 10 different directions. And, and that's saying it honestly. If I can streamline it into maybe one to two things, yes. I think ownership and you know myself and my co-podcaster for Catella Chronicles, David Goodkind, we talked about this today on our podcast, was we think Artie knows baseball or he thinks he knows baseball better than everybody else. You know, we see this constantly in the offseason. This is what the Angels need. Go, you know, this past offseason, we said, go get Max Scherzer. Go get that top-tier starting pitcher. Go get Carlos Correa to be a, a nice top-tier shortstop. These, get these guys to lift Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. You're not going to lift them up with Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez and insert name here playing the infield. Go get some top-tier talent. Artie Moreno sits back and says, I'm going to do something different because I think the way I view baseball, I want to be the new name in baseball. That's the Lord and savior that takes almost like the, the Island of misfit toys fixes their career and creates this mega organization. I think Artie Moreno is somewhere in there. And I think, as you mentioned for the last five, 10, even 50, I, I would say since 2010, because from the World Series to 2009, the Angels were pumping out playoff teams. Yeah. Even though they weren't winning, they were at least making it to the first, second round of the playoffs. But once 2010 hit, maybe 2011, it's been a very different story. Each decade has been very, very different with this Angels organization. Yeah. I think, a, you know, the, the old quote always says, a fish rots from the head. And we've seen it this year with Artie Moreno saying, I'm going to do media, don't worry. Still never did media. He's been in the shadows. Even at the 2002 World Series celebration against the Royals, he just walked out on the field, waved his little hand, and sat in the corner as if he was in timeout and let everybody else be the focal point, which is right. But you're still the owner of of the Angels. Get out there, be the face, and take some ownership. We saw today Perry Manassian in the OC register. He was honest. I think he was a little guarded in this sense, but you, if, if any angel fan knows this team as well as we do and can read the writing on the wall, anybody with eyes and a brain could see Perry Manassian. He was talking truth, but he was acting like the captain of a ship. He jumped off the ship and he took the gut punch and the stab in the chest and sacrificed himself for the team and the organization in that article, taking the blame for every single thing. And that's been the trajectory for Artie Moreno. If it was Tony Regans, Jerry DePoto, Billy Epler, and now Perry Manassian, what is the common denominator in everything with the GMs? Artie Moreno. What's the common denominator in a lot of free agent and trade mistakes? Upton, Hamilton, Vernon Wells, Pujols, C.J. Wilson, Hamilton. 
Artie Moreno. There's always one common denominator, and it's two words, Artie Moreno. Yeah, and you know, that's the one thing I like about you, what you guys do at Catella Chronicles. You know, you're like us. You know, there's so many other pages out there that seek validation through the team. We don't. Not when the team's like this. Exactly. We, we, we get validation from the audience. We get validation from knowing that we speak the truth. And at the end of the day, it really does start with ownership and lead its way down. Now, I can't solely point the finger to Artie Moreno. I'm sure there's other guys. I'm sure Dennis Cool is oh, also. I will say this. I will disclaimer what I just said about Artie Moreno. Is it 100% on him and everybody else's victims? No. Just like I, I put out a, a blog post uh earlier last week about the Angels coaching staff, how it seems like there's just a, a lot of ineptitude right now yeah. of not realizing what's going on and the same regurgitated answers in press conferences over and over. Do I blame the coaches for everything going on right now? No, there's, there's percentages for everybody. Everybody is to blame some more than others in certain topics. When it comes to strikeouts, the players are the ones swinging, but again, the coaches have to keep the players honest. So the coaching has to help out a little bit. It's a little bit of both, but yes, that's my little disclaimer on Artie. I'm not trying to bash him, but he does have a, he is the owner. So he does get a little more piece of the pie than other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and deservedly so. This is at the end of the day, his ship, no matter which way right. you slice it and dice it, but it is a front office issue and there's no denying that. Artie Moreno is the head of the front office, but this is a front office issue. And it has been for a long time. You Definitely. know, originally we kind of blamed the, the training staff. I don't know if you did, but I know we did because the injuries kept happening. You know what? They got a new training staff. Perry brought a guy from Atlanta. You mm-hmm. know, we I was kind of like, you know what? This is going to be different, right? Atlanta overall has been healthy. With the exception of Acuna last year, they still managed to win the World Series. And they got the ring. Yeah, exactly. That's what matters. They That's got the ring. And still, new training staff still got injured. And you know what? They fired Joe Madden. Was Joe Madden the only issue? Absolutely not. And if you think he was, you know, you're an idiot. But but I will say, overall, coaching has been an issue. And I absolutely agree with everything you said. I mean, how is Mike Trout knowing that players are pitching that are tipping pitches? How yes. is he the one to tell his pitchers? It should be the pitching coach. Come on, Matt White. Okay. Correct. Now, I don't know if you noticed this because I know you've been out for the last couple of weeks getting married. P.S. Congratulations. And, mo- and you know, moving out to the great state of Texas with the flag in the background here. But yeah. over the weekend, just like Reed Detmers on Friday, Patrick Sandoval had a phenomenal game on Saturday. Quality innings, 10 strikeouts, and only gives up one run. That, for any team, is a winnable game. But it's not the performance that I'm looking at. Let's pan to the dugout in between innings and coming back from commercial breaks. Why? For not one, not two, three innings in a row. Sandoval sitting on the bench, looking at the tablet, doing his homework, A-plus work there. But tell me why the person sitting next to him all three innings was Shohei Otani. I know Shohei's a pitcher, and I love that camaraderie. Part one, love it. But shouldn't the pitching staff have, you know, Matt Wise be a part of that conversation or he should be sitting next to him and Otani should be helping, not the other way around. Yeah. It's almost like Otani is, co- is coaching these pitchers. Trout's telling them from 300 feet away, uh, hey, yo, Pagero, you're, you're, you're tipping. There's a problem. Yeah. And the joyous thing of it all, or not, I don't want to call it joyous because this is not a joyous time. In the press conference, oh, we didn't see it. Or we didn't, you know, the, the, the ineptitude 
if Trout's calling it from 300 feet away, how are you missing it in the dugout? And that's your job. You're watching pitchers, not anything else. That's a problem. Absolutely. And that's just kind of how the, how it's been all year. Right. I mean, we've seen it with the hitters as well. You know what I mean? They're going up there swinging for the fences consistently, you know, wrong calls. If you have a runner on first and second, why are we not bunting? You know, and I understand we're in a different age of baseball, but you know, if your offense is struggling, you need to do what you can to score yes. runs, or at least put yourself in a position to score runs. And don't get me wrong, all of you guys at home, you know, rolling your eyes like Fernando, this team doesn't do situational hitting. You know what? You're absolutely correct. Situational. There is all this <laughs> in this lineup right now. I don't care Ward, Otani, Trout. There's realistically nobody in this lineup right now who you feel comfortable with batting with two outs with a runner on second and third because situational hitting has been non-existent. The only person right now in this lineup over the, over this road trip, uh, he would be my number two because okay. he actually, even though his numbers are average for most on this team, he's one of our better hitters. But if you put him on the Dodgers or the Braves, he's bottom of the barrel, but it works for the Angels. For me, in this nine-game road trip, who would I trust with runners in scoring position and two outs to at least get a hit or give me an opportunity? Michael Stefanik. He gets on base. He slaps the ball. He's kind of like what David Fletcher was when he came up a couple of seasons ago. Didn't care where the ball was. He put it in play, contact hitting. That's what the Angels need to get back to. They are so swing happy, swing for the fences. As you say, Mike Trout, Han Solo, the, the, they love the home run ball. We saw it for April, May, and even most of June. Even when the Angels were losing, they, all, they were top three in Major League Baseball in smacking homers. That's yep. great, but is it translating to wins absolutely not that's a problem you need depth and situational hitting and i think one of the other frustrating things you know okay let's talk about the movie moneyball real quick okay one of my favorite baseball movies and i'm sure i'm not alone i'm sure you like it too correct but in moneyball you know they were so adamant that they were going to stay the course on their plane correct and that's the thing in 2002 the athletics had a plan they stuck with it and you know what it it got them to the playoffs sure my favorite part of the movie is when the angels won but (laughs) obviously that's more of a behind the scenes 2002 a great year exactly some might say the best year but what i'm saying there is you know the athletics had a plan they stayed the course and it worked out for them they got to the playoff that's what they wanted obviously they wanted a ring that didn't happen but the thing with the angels for the last eight years, 10 years, 15 years, they've kind of been an organization without a plan, right? It's just been the stars and scrubs mentality. And I've heard, way of putting it. So much. I've heard it so much over the last decade, stars and scrubs. You know, what they always say is that you shouldn't have your, you know, three to five guys who get a lot of money and then pre-arm, pre-arm, arbitration, arbitration, arbitration. You shouldn't have that because when you have that on your payroll, it's normally not a good sign. You know, you just have a couple of stars, you take up all your money, and then just a bunch of pre-armed players. You know, now the Angels are starting to figure it out a little bit. You know, you know, you had the Rysel, Glacius this year, Aaron Loop. Obviously, those guys aren't panning out, but, you know, David Fletcher, obviously he's hurt. We have a couple of guys there to kind of fill in the middle, but the bulk of this organization is still just pre-arbitration players. Yeah, absolutely. But you you make a good point about stars and scrubs, and – what I'm about to say is probably going to be a much longer and deeper conversation, probably podcast to come. It, we could probably talk about this aspect for about two hours, at least, especially you and I. 
you you already know Mike Trout's on the books for a long time with a lot of money. Okay, we know that. We know Anthony Rendon's got another four years of big money. Okay, that's fantastic. <laughs> Is it? Guess what? There's a guy named Shohei Otani who needs to get paid. And you know, initially, based on last year, we thought, oh, easily a $300 million man. Well, it's now looking like a $400 million man, if not pretty much. I'm already saying he's going to get at least Mike Trout, what Mike Trout got. 10 years, or he's $400 million. Then it's not even close. No, and, and, and that's just my baseline right now. Let's just say 10 for 400 is Shohei Otani. Just even number purposes, let's go there. You're telling me Trout at $454 million, Otani $400 million, Rendon $260. Um, right there, there's three players, billion dollars, okay? How, as an organization, as a team right now, with Otani getting paid $4.5 million a year, not $400 million, four and a half, yeah. and you can't support a team, what do you think when three players equal a billion dollars, what depth are you going to have to go out to the free agent market, make trades? Because if that was the case and you had three, t- you have a very sexy farm system to plug into some holes. Yeah, no, the Angels don't have that. So it's, I want Otani to say, I would love to keep Otani. And the question I think for another day, maybe, is keeping Otani realistic? And again, I'm on the bandwagon. I love Otani. Nothing against him. I wish, I hope he's an angel for life. So you have people that say trade Otani and get everything you can for right now. You see all the, the fake, you know, trade rumors about he should go to the Padres and we get their top seven and all that Mackenzie Gore, Trent, you know, all that stuff. But then you have other people that said, like MLB Network, Harold Reynolds was talking about trade Trout. He was your yesterday. He's still the best player in baseball, but you had your time with him. Time to go. And let's move now to the next phase of your you know, career and move Otani to be your face of your franchise. Oh. I have no idea what happened here. Time, oh, probably because you set the meeting. It probably logs you out after 40 minutes. It's fine. If not, we can always leave, come back, record another, you know, yeah. and just the other piece in that way. So, yeah, honestly, the, the whole Otani thing, like you said, we can talk about that forever. Honestly, yeah. I, 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 my opinion on it changes every day. I'm literally just walking and running in circles like a dog trying to catch his tail. But part of me is like, you know what? You know, pay the man. The, the guy earned, deserves his money. There's oh, no he doubt. earns it, no doubt about it. Agree. No we both it. agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, Artie Moreno is a businessman. Mm-hmm. Moreno makes a lot of money off of Shohei Otani. And it's not even close. A lot of money. The Angels are the most popular baseball team in the world because they have Mike Trout and because they have Shohei Otani. Is there a, a, any doubt about that? You know, no, don't 100% are they the most known team? No. You know, the Yankees, the Dodgers are still the most known team. You know, you go, everybody knows those logos. There's some people wouldn't know the Angels logo. But at the end of the day, people know Mike Trout. People know Shohei Otani. And both of them on the field together is good for business. Because people come from literally all over the world to watch those two guys in a red jersey. Correct. I think at the end of the day, like you said, Moreno looks at the bottom line. And he sees dollar signs when Otani's on the field with Trout, everything you said. So... 
as fans, we have to be realistic. There's two sides of the coin here. Coin side one says, re-sign Otani, get it done, and Trout and him are your future. But by doing that, by mortgaging fame, you're going to lose a winning a winning team. Basically, you're giving up your pride to keep two players. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, you get rid of one of the two of them and try to win and get your pride back. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation. I think the Angels either way are going to get screwed because if you let Shohei or Trout, Trout already said he's not leaving and he's got a no trade clause, so I believe he would stay. Otani's going to be the one to go because at the end of the day, he knows his worth. And if he he does not accept an extension and the Angels don't offer to him and he hits the free agent market, good night, Irene, he is gone. Especially with what's going on in recent seasons, he's looking at, this is now his third different coach. He had Sosha, Madden, Nevin. I don't know if he wants to go through another regime change. I take that back. Brad Ausmus, add that into the mix as well. So more, how many regime changes can you do before you find the winning combination? We also have two other managers this year because Nevin got suspended. Montgomery and Hasselman. So how many regimes is it going to take to win baseball. I think that's Otani's number one. Like if you go into a, if Manassian and Moreno have to go into a free agent pitch meeting to keep Otani, A, that's not a good look. And B, what can you tell him for him to stay? You're going to be the famous person in baseball. I can do that anywhere. Imagine if Otani, imagine if Shohei Otani was with the Yankees right now and he was performing on the mound like he is now. You think he's not going to be even more famous in the New York media than he is here on the West Coast when everybody's in bed by one o'clock at night on the East Coast? It's a, it's a tough sell. The, if the Angels don't lock him up, I feel this offseason by the start of next year, it's not going to be good. Yeah, you know, it's you really got to figure out what you want or what he wants. It doesn't matter what you want. You got to honestly sit him down and ask him, do you want to stay here or do you not? Because if you don't, hey, you got to not tell anybody. Because if he doesn't want to be here, his value is zero, right? Because they know he's going to walk away next offseason. So you got to keep it under wraps. Yep. If the Angels, in my opinion, if the Angels decide to go either the rebuilding route or don't re-sign him, and let's say you trade him and you don't say anything, you know you're going to get a haul for this guy. Yep. You know, like like I mentioned. organization. Dominic. Yeah, like a different organization. We go from being one of the worst minor league systems to I could see being top 15 if you do it right. If you do it right. For example, I see all these theories and I mentioned it a minute ago, the Padres, because they do have a plethora of people you could get. And and, and a lot of these scenarios, I would say 75% of it, I think, could be an actual trade. Mackenzie Gore, very dynamic pitcher. Salman like Elsinore terrific you know Trent Grisham in the outfield yeah okay whatever you could get a catcher in Luis Camposano good quality hitter you could go out and get CJ Abrams as an infielder okay cool and then I think there was a bullpen pitcher in there and one other piece um you know money talks but the Padres I would feel if you're going to trade Shohei Otani this year or next year I'm pretty sure the team that would get Otani would want to sign him immediately to an extension. It'd be one of those type of, I don't want to say sign and trade, but it would be kind of along those lines. You know, and I was going to bring that up. So sign and trades don't really happen in baseball, but in basketball, they're very common. All the time. Could you see 
a situation where the Angels maybe explore that. Let's give him a big contract. Oh, this guy now has a 10-year deal. You saw what happened with the Marlins and Giancarlo Stanton. They signed with a $325 million contract and then traded him to a huge market team, and the Yankees paid for him. Could it be a possibility? Yes. Do I think it'll happen? No, because if you did a sign-and-trade for Shohei Otani, the amount of flack the Angels front office would get not just letting Shohei walk, but teasing us with the amount of essential crap that we've been through for the last decade, you would get, that would be such a dumpster fire move. That would be a slap in the face. Like, guess what? We're signing him five minutes later. Oh, he's being signed and traded. It's like, I could imagine those tweets coming in from like Ken Rosenthal and everybody. It would just be a, it would be a freaking media circus nightmare if that happened. But if you're an opposing team that wants him, yeah, it would make sense. Of course. I mean, you know what? Honestly, if that's the difference between us competing for the next decade, I might be okay with it. You know, I I would hate to get rid of Shohei Otani. Honestly, as tough as it is, I do believe Shohei Otani is a better player than Mike Trout where we currently stand. That's bearing injuries. And that's because Mike Trout can't pitch 100 miles an hour consistently. I have no problem believing Trout can go out there for an inning and pitch 100 miles an hour a couple times. Sure, why not? I've seen him throw off, uh, not throw off a mound, but I've seen him get in a crouch position like he's pitching from the outfield and throw it a ball. He threw a no-hitter at Millville High School. Come on now, he can bring it back. Throwback Thursday, let's go. You know, again, that's another load of question of who's better, Trout or Otani. If the Angels were winning right now and competing, I'd say let's have that conversation for a podcast so we can enjoy that. Right now, we really can. I'd say they're very similar. Again, it would be almost in that conversation from last year when it was uh, Otani versus Vlad Guerrero Jr. for the MVP. One pitches, one doesn't. That's kind of how it is. So maybe that's how you kind of separate Trout from Otani. But I still think on the hitting aspect, Trout is a better overall hitter than Shohei Otani. It's close, but I think Shohei... Or, or pardon me, Trout is a little bit better than Shohei. Okay. Tell you what, you know what? Let's bring you back on during the all-star break and let's talk about, are we going to trade Otani? Let's talk. Sure. About- yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a loaded question that we have here. Exactly. That'll be a whole two hour segment there. So the topic about Shohei Otani and we're leaving us on a cliffhanger for the future. Uh, Otani and Trout made the all-star team uh, as starters. Are you surprised at all about that? No, I think we just hit the nail on the head a minute ago. They are two popular players, not just in the United States, but around the world. And it only makes sense. It's hard to say, are, they, are those the only two angels that should be in the all-star game? You could probably make a case for Taylor Ward. He has had a career year. I know the last week and a half, two weeks have not been his shining moments, but you you know, we are talking about a whole first half of the season. So I would say Taylor Ward should have got at least a nomination as a reserve. Maybe he'll fill in for somebody if they get hurt. I don't wish injury upon anybody, but you never know what can happen. Amongst the pitching staff, you know, the Angels have had better pitching this year starting rotation-wise than in years past. I honestly would say Patrick Sandoval should have got a reserve role. He's not a big name, so it wasn't going to be as popular as some of the other AL reserves. Um, But I will say Ward and Sandoval should have at least had some consideration. And maybe we get lucky that one of them do get in in, in a spot in like Sandoval. 
if a pitcher pitches this Saturday or Sunday, maybe they don't pitch the all-star game. You get lucky, but I will say Ward and Sandoval maybe get a shot. I would have given them at least a look. Yeah. I wish Sandoval would have gotten in. I mean, the angels haven't had a true pitcher get in there since uh, Hector Santiago did in 2016. Or 15, 15, what is it? 2015, and before that, it was Weaver who, surprise, surprise, he's throwing out the first pitch at the Angel game Friday against the Dodgers. So. Yeah, he's still not being retired as an Angel, so. But yeah, then maybe maybe, maybe we get lucky and there's a surprise Friday night that they're going to announce that, but I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> yeah, never, never hope that the Angels PR department is going to do the right thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, don't put your money on that ever. No, if we do, we'll all just drop to four. Maybe that's where the 20-game winning streak will just start rattling off at that point. Hey, there you go. It'll be like money. money. <laughs> it all hinges on Jared Weaver. <laughs> the hey, dog hey, gets to do it. Yeah. Oh, Jared Weaver signed the contract for the end of the se- through the end of the season. <laughs> He's the Uh-oh. new ace. He's the new ace throwing 65-mile-an-hour cheese down the middle. Swing and miss. And just like old times, huh? Exactly. <laughs> so those 68 mile an hour curveballs I just got left over. Honestly, <laughs> I think after he got done starting, I think he might have actually been a decent bullpen arm. I mean, there's a big difference between facing Shohei Otani at 101 miles an hour, 99, then all of a sudden facing a 68 mile an hour curveball. Almost kind of like what Major League Baseball, uh, the Padres, the Red Sox, and now the Rangers have done to Garrett Richards. He was a great starter. Once he got injured with that knee injury, he became a bullpen piece. And he's actually kept his career in kind of longevity in that sense by being in the bullpen. And, you know, he's not awful. Is he great? No, but he's hanging on pretty tough and still giving some quality innings to the Texas Rangers. He was originally a bullpen, if I remember correctly, right? And then he got converted back to a starter by the Angels? Yes. Yeah, when he was in the, I think in the system, you know, Rancho Cucamonga at the time when the Angels were still with the Quakes, he was a bullpen piece or kind of, half bullpen kind of like what Michael Lorenzen was with Cincinnati they used him as a starter but then he was a bullpen and then they finally realized he had the stuff to become a starter and that's where his career kind of took off at least early on with the Angels kind of what they're doing now with Mike Myers now they're trying to make him a starter (laughs) there's a lot of things going down in Salt Lake nowadays folks you know you get Mike Myers a starter you get Tyler Wade in the infield you get uh Jack Mayfield you know there's a lot of crazy stuff that can happen then you could see Joe Adele hitting bombs out there in triple A so you never know what can happen yeah, yeah, right. Now, you know what? You brought up Joe Dell real quick, and we got to get into the Orioles series at some point. But Joe Dell, uh, you think he's a candidate to come back up, or you think he needs to stay stay down there until he's consistent again? You know, because he was really cold for a little while there. I will say this: the one everybody's calling for Joe Adele to be brought back up. I get it. His talent is undeniable, no doubt about it. And he was the number one prospect in the Angels organization for a reason. The only concern I have is. Triple A pitching is drastically different than major league pitching. So the same people that are asking him to come up, I don't want them to be the same ones saying he needs to go get sent back down when he's batting 120. Now, do I wish him batting? They will be. Exactly. Do I wish him to bat 120 here? No, I want him to succeed. But I need more of a timeline. I think once we get, if he hasn't come up by the trade deadline and the angels we know are consistently out of this postseason race right now, it's, Thank you know. Thankfully, there's that third all. Pardon me, third wild card spot. So the Angels right now are just seven games back. Look at Baltimore two weeks ago. They were t- about eight to ten games out, and guess what? They're three out. The Angels are one win streak of about five to six games away from at least competing again. So you can't really call them tanking, but you can't call them competing. The Angels are in a very gray area. 
So he can't be brought up yet, but Marsh hasn't had a great July. So what's the difference at this point? So there's a lot of different aspects. I would say leave Adele in AAA until the trade deadline, figure out where we are at that point, and then bring him up. And once you bring him up again, you got to leave him up because the whole ping pong game is not doing anything for his career. And it's making the angels look bad. And I, and I mentioned this in our latest Catella Chronicles podcast episode. It's one of four issues with the angels. One, you bring up Adele. If he doesn't have success again, it makes Adele look bad. Okay. Part two, it makes the organization look bad because they're handling it poorly. Three, it makes the angels scouting department and development department look God awful. And four, he's going to want to get his butt out of here. And you know, the typical angels look, he'll go to another organization. They'll develop him better. And I'm not saying he's going to be the next Mike Trout, but he'll have at least some sort of successful career at that point. So I'm going to say, let Adele finish July in AAA. And then if, depending on what happens at the trade deadline, bring him up. Yeah, I, I almost, you know, I, I see the comps all the time with Joe Adele. And we know that the talent is there because he shows glimpses. He was showing glimpses. Yeah. weeks. Look what we saw last year where he came up. He had that game with the Texas Rangers, his first game, you know, when he came here to Arlington and he took the world by storm and then he got hurt. But yeah. what I'm saying is, is Joe Adele, they got to figure out what they're going to do. Now, let me ask you this. Will Joe Adele be in the Angels organization by opening day next year? Or does he get traded this trade deadline? Or does he get traded in the offseason? Oh, wow. That's a, Again, you're asking some very loaded questions today. I'm so yeah. glad I'm prepared. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, I will say, to preface it, I think the Angels at this trade deadline, everybody thinks right now they're either going to stand pat or be sellers. Based on that Manassian article last night, for some odd reason, I feel coming out of the All-Star break, they got the three gets Atlanta and then Kansas City, and then they come home to play Texas, Oakland, Seattle, and a lot of AL West teams yeah. leading into the uh, trade deadline. My feeling is the week leading up to the trade deadline, that three games against Kansas City and those four against Texas and the little bit with Oakland, those 10 games, watch, the Angels are going to go like seven and three and act like they're going to go on a roll. The Angels, I feel, to overcompensate for the problems that have happened the past two months are going to go out and be buyers at the deadline, hot take, buyers at the deadline. And if the Angels are truly actually going to go through with the plan which is a legit starting pitcher or at this point maybe a legit infielder I don't think that's going to happen because they claim David Fletcher's coming back I could see Joe Adele being traded because his numbers at AAA have been so very good he had a uh, you know I think he got COVID or he had a really bad stomach bug and he ended up losing like 10 pounds and he looked very skinny when he came up with the Angels for that week when Taylor Ward was out for 10 days with the neck. Um, besides that, he's been rock solid at AAA, and defensively, he's gotten a little bit better. So I will say by opening day next year, loaded question, but for right now, with the way the organization is setting up and with it looking Taylor Ward being concretely a right fielder, I'm going to say yes, Joe Adele or – I contradicted myself for a minute. Yes, Joe Adele will be traded before opening day and will not, I repeat, will not be on opening day roster 2023. I if I had to make an early, an early project, because I feel with the amount of time Marsh is getting in comparison to Adele, they value Marsh more than Adele. And that's, and that's clear right now. 
very clear. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, honestly, I think Adele might have a little more trade value than March, and that's no disrespect to March. What I'm saying there is I think that Adele, you know, people see the potential with Adele because they see Adele and they think superstar. And there's that's more kind of- ambiguity. There's yeah. more ambiguity in Adele and kind of a mystery. Marsh yeah. right now, because he's had more MLB playing time, he's had about a year now with this. He came up in about June, July last year. So we're coming up to about a year marker on Marsh. Yeah. And he stayed and he has stayed relatively healthy, knock on wood. So you've gotten a full almost 160, at least 150 games of Brandon Marsh. So you can see his bat is off right now, but you know he has gold glove caliber defense. Yeah. That is that's something you can't take away from him. Batting, he needs to improve. But at this point right now, you're not going to go send him down to AAA and bring Adele up because that would just be counterproductive to both of them right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, well, we're on the same page on that one. So uh, let's get to why we brought you on here. Let's talk real quick about the Orioles series. There's not much to talk about. It was a bad series. There was some bad baseball. The Angels had an opportunity to win one of those games. And Rysel Iglesias, I don't even, you know, I want to say uncharacteristically. They could have split that series. They could have. Easily. The the Thursday and Sunday game washes no problem. In, in truth, you win some, you lose some. But the middle two games, definitely winnable games, no doubt about it. Absolutely. You know, Ray Iglesias is – what's going on with him, do you think? I, I think, truthfully, I don't want to say mismanaging his usage – but he's had a lot of gaps in his usage in comparison to last year. So you look earlier in the year when the Angels are winning, he's going out every day or maybe every other day or in a, in a calendar week. If the Angels are playing Monday through Sunday, seven games, he's pitching in at least four of them if the Angels are winning. When they're losing, we saw during the 14-game losing streak, he did not pitch before giving up that game, uh, that, um, game to the Philadelphia Phillies. He hadn't pitched in nine days. Talk about bringing in a cold closer or at least a cold relief pitcher at that point. I think it's just victim of circumstance a little bit. And when you're a closer, you hear this all the time. Baseball is a mental game. When you're a closer and you're supposed to be going in to get boom, 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 one out, two out, three out, ball game over, put your fingers up in the air and celebrate. And you're coming into a one run deficit or just closing time of, we're down three, but we don't want to waste any other bullpen pieces, so we're going to treat this as a bullpen day for you. Your mind kind of messes with you a little bit. So early on in the year when he had that slip-up against the Chicago White Sox, I would say that happens every once in a while. We saw that last year with Rysel. He had one or two times every month where he just kind of have a mess-up day, and that's natural in baseball. What are you going to do? But now on a consistent basis, it's almost like you get two to three good weeks and then he's off for a week, two to three good weeks. It's now coming more in bunches. I'm going to say it's more victim of circumstance. I still think Rysel, when he's on, he is on. But I think with the way the team is, the trajectory right now, I think he's just kind of leveling out. If the Angels were streaking in, the, in a positive direction, I don't think we'd be seeing this as much. So victim of circumstance. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. I mean, let's hope so, because we're in that contact for three more years after this one. So. I would say I'm more, you know, I've been more worried about Aaron Loop. Absolutely. Because his, his drop-off from what we saw last year with the Mets of yeah. a .95 ERA to right now being in the fours and having about a, a good month and a half where it was just 
not working, not finding the strike zone, at least overall in his last couple of appearances, he's looked better and not given up any runs. So trending in the right direction, but hopefully, you know, this homestand coming up with three, with three against the Astros and two with the Dodgers, that five game homestand, you know, nothing crazy happens and he falls off a ledge again. Yeah, it's just frustrating when you bring guys like Tapera and, you know, Rysel as a re-sign candidate, and they're in loop. These three guys who have been, you know, great pitchers for the last couple of years, you know, Tapera's been around the league. You know, Aaron Loop had such a dominant year last year with the Mets. And then obviously Rysel had a great year with us. You know, it, it wasn't fair to assume that Loop was going to have an ERA under one again. But, you know, a guy like Ryan Tapera, who's a consistent major league pitcher, you know, one of the better relief arms consistently throughout his career. Yes. And same with Ray Sell as a closer. And all of a sudden, these guys just cohesively for the last two months together all suck. It's just frustrating. Not one of them was has been clicking. No, and you cannot, and I will be a first-team advocate on this. You cannot blame Perry Manassian for this problem. No. When you're in free agency, you're looking at what a player has done. You can only do so much projection in the future. And with what the information Manassi had in front of him, we talked about this earlier in the year. To get and sign to Para, Loop, and Iglesias, you pretty much locked in at the back end of your bullpen three of the top five bullpen pieces on that free agent market this past offseason. Everybody was calling that an A-plus move. Has it worked out A-plus? No. But from the information Perry was getting and what they have done in their career, that's a performance element. And I feel that's where the coaching staff needs to get into the heads of these guys and help even them out in that sense and make Perry look better. Because, again, Perry's taking the fall for this. I don't think anything in the back end of the bullpen situation is Perry's fault. Because he didn't take on a project. None of these guys are projects. Yeah, absolutely. These are, these are proven major league guys. On paper, the Angels have one of the better back ends of the rotation in baseball. Because you can also throw in Archie Bradley in there, who was also a consistent closer for a substantial amount of time with the Diamondbacks, a very good, reliable major league closer. Had some good success with the Phillies as well. And, you know, came here and got hurt trying to get in a fight. You know, I love sticking up for your team, but that was the most angel thing possible. Yep. At a moment, you're trying to do the right thing and support your boys, but then, boom, there goes the elbow. But look yep. at the Angels' rest of the bullpen. Jimmy Herget, who's on the IL right now, has had a pretty, very good season. Yep. And then you had Austin Warren, who was doing very well, and then gets plunked in the face during batting practice at Fenway Park. Just Gotta tough luck. Got to love being an Angels fan. You know, on paper, Warren Herget. Bradley, Tapera, Lupe, Iglesias, that sounds like the makings of a very good bullpen on paper, but it's not coming to flourishing right now. And that's, I'm sorry, none, it's not like all of those guys are, you know, five plus ERA guys for their entire career and Perry took them on as projects. These were quality candidates. So I'm not putting any of the blame on Perry, not, not one bit. All right, so let's talk real quick about game one now with uh, with the Orioles. So Chase Silseth got the start, and then uh, was Jordan Lyles got the start for the Orioles. So Lyles is five and seven after that game. He pitched six innings, five hits, one run. It was earned, two walks, and struck out four. His season ERA is down to four fifty. Now Chase Silseth, uh, Silseth, four innings pitched, six hits, 
four runs. They were all earned. One walk and two strikeouts. His ERA is now 5.84. So Chase Silseth came up, had a great major league debut against Oakland. Since then, kind of tapered off a little bit. Now, do you think it's just because during that first start, the A's just had so little information on him? And, you know, they kind of figured him out for that. And because he's so young, he's still trying to figure it out. What do you think is wrong with him? combination of a lot of things I think first game jitters and you're amped up so you want to pitch well so he had that on this his side you're playing the Oakland A's who are not a great ball club that works in your favor um after that I feel he's just a young guy he you know he was just drafted the first guy out of last year's draft to make his major league debut out of the University of Arizona um I think it's just time he was playing at double a it's not like the Angels are shipping him back and forth to triple A and he's seen almost MLB caliber batters. He's seen double A batters and and nothing against double A batters, but it's just a different level and a different age range. And it's just different. Every level of minor league baseball now is a very different breed. So you can only take it for what it's worth. So to be at double A and to have success in double A is a great thing, but I actually would like to see him at the triple A level just to see if he's doing more of what he's doing at double A or if it really is a bigger problem, I think it's just youthfulness and just tough situation. I think he's got the goods. He just needs to develop stronger. But again, the angels are organizationally is not great at development. Yeah. You know, there's not much positive to take away from that game. I mean, the angels got six hits, got an air, uh, the Orioles only had eight hits. They gave up uh, Adley Rutschman's uh, first Oriole home run at home as well. So there you go. You can always put that feather in his cap that he got it against the Angels. The positive in that game, I would say, was the bullpen. Wance, a shutout inning. Marte, an inning and two-thirds of shutout baseball. And then Pagaro and Loop combined for an inning and a third shutout. So that was one of those Angel games where the starter didn't do well comboed with the offense not swinging but the bullpen looked strong kind of like uh the first game of the road trip in houston where the angels couldn't bat starting pitching wasn't great but the bullpen between ortega and Pigueroa were locked solid just one of those games it happens um but i will take the bullpen in that game being a positive trek as well as uh, he's going to be a he was my player of the road trip michael stefanik getting on base he went one for four and scored a run. So those are two positives from that first game. But again, a winnable game. Four to one, that's winnable. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so now let's talk about a game that definitely was winnable, game two. And that was the game that we've already kind of alluded to right now, where Isela Iglesias blew his third save of the season. So Reed Detmer, six innings pitched. Two hits, no earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. We already talked about the fact that he looked very sharp coming out of Salt Lake on a return. And that was his birthday, correct? Happy birthday to him. Yes, Reed pitched very well that day. Um, we talked about it earlier in the show. Whatever he did at AAA for a week and a half, two weeks, looked great. Hopefully, if he pitches against Houston or the Dodgers, whichever it lines up this week, hopefully he can replicate that. But, you know, getting innings out of him is always great. He has the talent. His breaking ball stuff is fantastic. Yeah, I think yeah. just more, just he needs refinement. He's still a young kid. We got him in 2020. Be patient, Angel fans. I know that's very hard to say for us, but we were patient with Sandoval. Let's be patient with Detmers. 
he's got it in him. So I'll, I'll finish that. That'll cap off Detmers. The rest of that, that was Friday's game against Baltimore was strictly a prime example of Otani and Trout carrying the team. They both homered four RBIs combined. They were six of the 12 hits. They were half of the offense hitting wise and all four runs scored. You think when your two best stars have it going on that you're going to win a game, but unfortunately Rice opened the door for heartbreak and that's just how it went that night. Some other positives was the hold by Quejada and Tapera. Tapera, his uh, ERA is still up there, 4.19. But Quejada, 2.63 ERA. I know he's had some injuries as he's been battling this season, but Quejada has been an interesting piece this year. He's come out, he's gotten the job done overall, and he's having a pretty good season. Absolutely. I think, you know, the Angels, Quejada has been very well. I thought he was terrific last year. If you took out his first two appearances from 2021, where he gave up five runs against Tampa and I think three runs against another team. It might've been Houston. His ERA lowers from four and a half to 2.36 in that range. That's a terrific bullpen ERA for the angels, especially for last year's team, which bullpen was outrageously bad, but in that game, you know, it's a tough, it's tough when you have a lead, Kayad and Tapera, if you look at their line score, you think, oh, they pitched one inning, they gave up a run. Come on, guys. The offense is trying to do something. It, it, it happens. But it's just been more of the same for the Angels pitching. I'd say one run shouldn't lose you a game. But right now, with the Angels are not scoring a lot of runs, one run in relief is going to lose you a game sometimes. So, again, tough luck on, on Kayad and Tapera's part. Yeah, we've been joking an awful lot lately in our Halos and Infield group chat where as soon as like the first or second run's given up by the starter, we're like, well, this game's over. We already lost. Yeah, and it feels like that right now. Honestly, we're at a point where scoring one yes. two runs is like climbing Mount Everest for this team. It and is a height that this team has just yes. not been able to reach. You're in a crater and the game's almost immediately over. And like you said, you can see it in the pitcher's demeanor. You can yes. see it in the dugout. You can see when the guys in the batter's box because they're pressed. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's getting really, really sad to watch. I don't know if there's any other words I can describe it. You, I hit the nail, you hit the nail, we've all hit the nail on the head. The face on these players says it all sometimes. And it just, you know, if, if the Angels pitching staff, starters and relievers combined, give up three or more runs in a game right now, it's going to be extremely tough to get to get that lead back or to win the game. I always say this in years past. You know when the Angels get lucky and score 10 runs in a game against a team and win 10 to 4 or something? The next day, they always struggle to get runs. It's almost like they got it all out in one day. It's almost like that one game against the Mets where Walsh cycle and they got 11 runs against a quality Mets team. That sucked them dry for a good month. One good game sucked them dry. The Angels aren't scoring runs right now, except for that game against the Kansas City Royals that they lost 11 to 10. So those two games, 20 runs in those two games, and the Angels are just not scoring runs. Five is a miracle. Five is a miracle for the Angels. It's just tough. And that's why you got to win those kind of games right now. You really do. And you really need one of the most dominant closures in baseball to get you that save. It's just a shame that he's struggled this season. Like you said, you know, it's a little unfair to expect him to come out of nowhere being so cold and just continue to dominate. Like he's done in the past, but. 
the Angels were winning games, as I said earlier, that they weren't supposed to or the one-run games earlier in the year. The tides have turned. They're now losing games they should have been winning and losing those close one-run games. You could look up and down, five to four, two to one, three to two. You win. If the Angels have won half of the one-run games since the losing streak started, probably instead of being seven back in the wild card, you may be kind of like Baltimore between two and four games back right now. Just the smallest attention to detail can make the biggest difference right now with that extra wild card spot. As I mentioned, if the Angels could rattle off five wins in a row, they're oddly enough, for as bad as they're playing, right back in this wild card race and can still be competitive. Yeah. And, you know, it's right now, we'd be having a much different conversation. We'd be talking about who Correct. we can get during the, during the trade deadline. What's going to happen? What's Perry going to do? Perry wouldn't be even on a theoretical hot seat. I don't think he's on a hot seat, but I'm already no. seeing people on Twitter like, oh, he's going to get fired. He's not going to get fired. Every one of this coaching staff is probably going to get fired. But Perry. The only, I will say this. The only move I could see, I, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but the only move I could point to him right now and say, this is the reason why you're fired. It's not the pitching. He addressed pitching. It just hasn't worked out in his favor. It was the lack of attention to the depth on this team. And he took, and that's the one thing about this article that he talked about uh, yet last night, this morning, that I agree with. He took full ownership of not addressing, he overcompensated pitching for the depth. We talked about it. You're getting who to play short slash second base, who, Wade Velasquez. You know, maybe he, he was trying to take a passion project to try to turn them into something that they weren't. The Angels needed somebody. But at the same account, how are you going to go pay for somebody three years, you know, the Trevor Story contract, and then come back a year later and saying, okay, now we got to pay Otani $400 million. You're between a rock and a hard place. So, again, it's those loaded, tough questions that Manassian has to answer to right now that you kind of can't answer because you're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, and I was completely wrong um, because, and I'll lay crow on it because I remember I'd, I'd said the beginning when we started you know, making episodes this year, I had said, wow, the Angels have a pretty good amount of depth, you know, but I, back then we're talking about Matt Duffy on the bench. We're talking about, you know, Andrew Velasquez wasn't even a glimmer in our eyes back then. When everybody uh, when was healthy. Completely different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Health. What is health? I would yeah, love to know what the angels know about health. Ever. Angels don't know anything about health. What you know about health? Gosh, man. Like, come on. There's some old ladies in the stands that are healthier than them. Yeah, man. These nutritionists, I don't know what they're doing. They're giving these guys Whataburger and freaking uh, what's a uh, guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are a California at heart. Get that Whataburger out of your mouth. Get that in and out back in there. I don't like it and out. Never did. Oh, my God. The viewers just turned us off. What is happening? I'm <laughs> My favorite burger for fast food in California is always Baker's. Baker's is Ooh. like the big boy version of In-N-Out. Ooh, nice. Just like In-N-Out, except they have big boy patties. In-N-Out has those little kid patties. Get this out of here. That is true. Underrated pick, Baker's. Now, we'll get into food in another time, but okay. <laughs> we'll get into food. But, but again, are they? what are they giving these guys? It's very hard. But you know, fr- fr- Friday's loss sucked. <laughs> but I know you'll get into this right now. Saturday's loss, I felt even worse about. It. I know we talked about it with Patrick Sandoval, yeah. but I just that one hit me hard because you know Sandoval's going out there each and every time. He might be the new Jared Weaver of going out there pitching a dominant game and getting zero run support. Uh, it's tough. 
He's three and four now. So on Saturday, 6.1 innings pitch, five hits, one run. It was earned, two walks, 10 strikeouts. And he's got an ERA of 2.95. His ERA, great. One, I, I have not seen an angel with a 2.95 ERA at the All-Star break in quite a while. But the reason why he's not going to make the All-Star team is because of the win-loss total. Oh, yeah. Everybody talks about, for me, for starting pitchers, win-loss means nothing to me. You know what that win-loss total tells me? Your offense either got your runs or didn't get your runs. You know, it's all that ERA, whip, walk-to-strike ratio, all those other intangible stats. After this game, his ERA was top 10 in the American League. Yep. That's all-star caliber. You know, him and Otani are the pitchers of the staff. Syndergaard's still coming back and doing his thing, but Sandoval should have got a win. How hard is it? Both teams got five hits on Saturday. You're telling me you couldn't muster up one or two runs? The Angels go 0 for 8 with eight runners left on base. Yep. That's two games out of the first three where the Angels went 0 for in scoring position. So if you add Thursday's game and Saturday's game, the Angels combine 0 for 15 with 15 runners in scoring position in the first and third game of that series. That can't happen. Un- unacceptable. You got nothing out of Trout, nothing out of Otani, nothing out of Alar, and you barely got anything out of Ward. So we're not talking about our top four guys doing nothing. Oh, and if you want to throw in uh, – sorry, sorry, Ward did get one hit and Walsh did get one hit. So there you go. The top five guys combined for two hits. Yep. It, sorry, it's My apologies. <laughs> hey, it, it, regardless of how it goes, that's just how it is. You know, the, the big stars in that game were Renhefa going two for four and Stefana going one for two again. Yep. And, and Loop having another scoreless outing, even though it was only two-thirds of an inning, but he got two punchies. So that's great. Um, and well, I don't know how much – the pitching did well. What more do pitching you want? did well. If your pitching gives you uh, gives up less than three runs a game, they gave you an opportunity to win that game. Anytime you're pitching in any capacity, three runs or less, that puts you in an opportunity where you should be at least contending to win the game. And the Angels can't even do that. You know, sometimes I say, I, you know, I would I, I would rather have the Angels lose 3 nothing than in the ninth inning score two runs and then leave the bases loaded and leave the win on the field. Um, but, at, but right now, I would rather like to see this Angels team get some runs on the board. You know, you look at this road trip, and you see they got, they got smashed in Houston. They lose 4-2 to two, uh, in that final game. Could have been a win. They lose 2-1 to one against the Marlins. Should have been a win. They lose 4-1 to one to the Orioles. Could have been a win. Lose 5-4. to four, Should have been a win. Lose 1-0. to nothing, Should have been a win. Sunday, eh, we'll get to that right now. The Angels, this road trip could have been 6-3. and three. Yeah. But no. Let's go 1-8. and eight. Let's go for a beautiful 1-8. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Sunday real quick because we're running out of time here. Uh, with the timer. So Suarez, 3.2 innings pitched, uh, three hits, four runs. They were all earned, two walks, one strikeout. His season ERA is now 4.79. Jose Suarez is not the pitcher that he was last year. Something's notably wrong there. Maybe it is the bouncing back and forth. Maybe it's the fact that maybe he is more of a long reliever because that's where he had the most success last season. Ever since then, he's either been really at the high or the low point. There's no in-between for Suarez. There's not even any consistency for Suarez. That's kind of unfortunate. What do you think? I'll make the simple since, since we're getting close on time here. Suarez, to me, 
We've seen it this year with Jaime Berea. He's really come into his own as a middle relief pitcher, even though they haven't used him as much because they're losing a lot of games and so on and so forth. I see Suarez as more of a bullpen piece and that middle relief, maybe sixth end starter. He's got good stuff, but he doesn't have the longevity. So you're going to get outings like this sometimes where it's three and two thirds, four and a third, four and two thirds. When he goes five or more innings, that's phenomenal. That's like Otani going seven innings in a start. Yeah. It's just different. Um, so, you know, it's different for Swords. Again, the up and down game's tough. Um, but it, this is going to be kind of more of the same three to four runs each time for, for Swords. And, and let's be real. Sunday's pitchers did not have a great day. Do you, would you ever consider a, an opener situation with Jose Suarez? I know that was a Brad Osmus thing, but is that something you consider? You could, and typically openers are winning. I, I would say if Suarez is your opener, let's say leading into uh, Reed Detmers, for example, because you're not going to open Otani, Syndergaard, or Sandoval. If you open to Detmers with Suarez, or I could see I could see Suarez going two to three innings and then Detmers finishing the game. Cause Detmers, we can see going five or six innings, anything above that. It's tough still. Sure. Why not? Instead of the other way around, why not? I'd be open to it at this point in the season. I'm game for anything. Yeah. The, something needs to give, right. You know, there's, there's the, the team's flat right now, you know, so you got to do whatever you can right now to just give yourself an opportunity to have some competitive games here. You know, I'm talking about playoff baseball right now, and there's no reason to, I understand. Yes. Is there technically a lot of baseball left? Sure. But at the end of the day, right now, this team does not deserve to be in the playoffs. This team does not deserve to compete for a playoff spot where we currently stand. I hope that changes. And like you said, a winning streak maybe brings a different conversation. But right now, this team is winning. So Correct. Ma- mathematically, we're still in it. But via the eye test, we are a long ways away, to say the least. Well, Dominic, we obviously have a lot more to talk about. And you and I can talk forever. So, you know, I, you know where to find us. And I'm sure you'll be on plenty by the time the season's over. And hopefully you guys will come on. And hopefully a lot of you guys will come on from your staff for our uh, trade deadline show like we had last year, where we're on for the two hours leading up to the trade deadline. That's, you know, that's the goal. I know Todd and I, sneak preview for everybody. We're talking about uh, potentially doing a- another live stream i know fernando you couldn't have been a part of the last one but we definitely want you in on the next one the goal was for the dodgers series but it's not going to work out that way so maybe the following weekend against the braves or the texas rangers we still got to pick out a little bit and see what goes on you know you never know but a lot more live streams to come more combined podcasts and a lot of different stuff so keep tuning on to halos in the infield and catella chronicles Absolutely. The best two podcasts in the game. The, and if you want to get over and read some of their great articles, you can go ahead and find them. You guys post them on Twitter as well, right? The links to them. Correct. Yeah. You can find us at Twitter at Catella underscore Cron. That's at Catella underscore capital C H R O N or our blog site, Catella Chronicles.wordpress.com. Yeah. I'll definitely say that the Twitter is probably the one to follow for sure, because it's kind of their one-stop shop, if you will. So, you know, definitely the best way to get some Catella Chronicles in your life. Well, that's going to do it out of us here at Halos in the infield. Dominic, once again, thanks for joining us and uh, thank you so much for tuning in guys. Make sure to give both of our podcasts a five-star review or just give us an honest review. Let us know what we're missing. Make sure to follow both of our pages on all of our social media platforms to be caught up with all things angels where you can voice your frustrations in our comment sections. Have a great night, everybody. And viva los angelitos.